A lot of good stuff going on this morning. We want to make sure we have time for the good stuff that will come from the teaching of the Word of God here. You know, Tom, they don't usually move that quickly when Phil and I are preaching, so they must have higher expectations. Right. For... Well, that's too bad. <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. So I just want to say uh, something preliminary that isn't necessarily part of the message, but I think it's important. I have said many, many times, and not necessarily to, to you folks, but to other people, that the Holy Spirit can certainly inspire someone and move them and uh, lead them in the moment, but the Holy Spirit is just as active in our preparations. It's not just what happens in the moment, it's also what happens in preparation. If you think that the Holy Spirit can move me right now to spontaneously deliver a message, why wouldn't you think the Holy Spirit can move me to study well and, and, and prepare a message that is just as inspired by Him? And that is what happened this week very clearly because I, I prayed over this. Uh, there were quite a few texts to, to pick from, and Wade gave me even some, some greater freedom. I was, leading toward, I was leaning towards something else, and, and the Spirit said, go to John 15 and go to the love of God. And I didn't talk to anyone here about that. I didn't say, this is what I'm going to do. Can you pick songs that go along with the love of God? Can you pick a theme in your prayers and in all what's going on? That was the Spirit. And the Spirit worked in preparation for you to be here today to hear this message. And I just want to affirm all of you in that. The Spirit can move you in the moment. He can certainly also move you in preparation. And He's been preparing all of us in different ways this week to hear what he wants to say through his word. So let's go to there. If you've got your Bibles, it's John 15. John 15, and I'm, I'm just going to read three verses, and we'll probably really only focus on two. But uh, John 15, we're going to start at verse 9. We, we read this at the beginning. Matthew led us in this. But before we jump into it, let's pray a little bit more. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you do lead in all sorts of different ways and we pray right now that you would make your word living and active in each one of us. I pray that we would hear from you in what I'm about to say. And so whatever you need to do to make that happen, we ask you to make it happen. And especially, Lord, give us the faith to receive your word, to receive what you're saying to us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. This is really a stunning passage of Scripture. I could preach on this passage of scripture for weeks and weeks. So, you know, Wade told me we have to, what, two o'clock this afternoon or something? No, I, I won't go that long, but it, it really is amazing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That's sort of like the preliminary, but just stop for a moment. Don't drift over that. Think about this. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. How does the Father love Jesus? 
think about this. Theologians love to, to get into this. The, you know, we, we believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's one God, but there are three persons in this Trinity. For, for me, actually, one of the significant factors of evidence for the truth of Christianity is the doctrine of the Trinity because we all believe something we don't fully understand. Now, if we were making up a religion, we'd, we'd understand it. It would be easy to explain. But uh, this, this, to me, says this can't be made up because we all believe it, but we don't completely understand it. No one does. But one of the pictures I've, I've heard of the Trinity is sort of this always existing community. You have the Father loving the Son, and the Son loving the Father, and the Spirit loving the Son, and the Son loving the Spirit, and the Father loving the Spirit, and the Spirit loving the Father. And you have this ongoing love that has never had a beginning and will never have an end, this never-ending business of the Father and the Son and the Spirit loving each other. And in a way, the whole creation of the world is just that love spilled over. And Jesus says, this thing, this love of the Father that he's been giving to me without end. It never began and it never ends. It's been going on forever. That is how I love you. The Father has loved Jesus eternally. Jesus has loved you eternally. Now, I can't wrap my head completely around how that works, but that's what he's saying is the Father's loved me, so have I loved you. The Father's love has no limit. There's no limit to how much the Father loves Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. His love for you has no limit. His love for you is as limited as the Father's love for Jesus is, which has no limits. It has no flaws. You know, here on earth, our love sometimes has flaws. We love each other. We do love, and we can love truly and well, but it always has flaws. Sin gets in the way. Flesh gets in the way. We, we, we struggle sometimes. Even in the best love relationships, we struggle. But there are no flaws to the way the Father loves Jesus. And there are no flaws to the way Jesus loves us. None of these you know, factors that complicate love for us complicate the way that Jesus loves us. And so when we read this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus is offering us the same experience of love that he has with the Father. Just think about that for a second. He is offering us, he is inviting us into the same love that he experiences as a member of the Holy Trinity. His own experience of the Father's love was deep and abiding you know, we say that when, again, you know, this is, these are things that are difficult to understand, but the way I like to put it is when Jesus came to earth, he, he had, you know, his divinity was tied behind his back. It's like, I'm going to do this with both hands tied behind my back. He chose not to rely on his, his divine nature. He lived within the limits of his human nature and relied entirely upon the Father's love. And that sustained him through every weary day of his life. And he is saying, you too, can have that same sustaining experience of love. When I think about this, and I think about how mind-blowing it is this, is, this is why Paul actually writes to the Ephesians. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. A lot of times we go after the 14 through 19, we say, to him who's able to do all more than we can ask or imagine. But the prayer ahead of that is about the love of, the, of God. 
Paul writes this from Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is saying we need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to order, in order to understand this. So that's one of my prayers for us this morning, that we can be strengthened by the Spirit to understand what this means as the Father has loved me. So if I loved you, says Jesus. Even to begin to understand this, we need God to work at our hearts. But we're going to move on in this text, but I want us to understand this is the foundation. Of course, it's the foundation for all of the Christian life. It's also the foundation for this text, so I don't want us to, to move off this too quickly. This is what we need to understand. This is the, uh, the experience of abiding love that Jesus is inviting us into is the same experience that he had with the Father while he lived on earth. That is amazing. It is mind-blowing. So moving on, the next thing Jesus says is abide in my love. Now, abide's not a word that we use very often. I don't know the last time you ever said to someone, hey, let's go abide here. Or, you know, I don't know anyone who's used it in a sentence recently. But some, some good synonyms might include remain. A lot of translations have that. Remain in my love. Remain, I think, isn't quite full enough. There's dwell. Dwell is a pretty good one. Rest upon stay in, exist in, and that is, I think that's a great one. We are to exist continually in Jesus' love, to, to rest upon it, to stay in it all times. And so this should be the foundation of our entire lives. God loves us, and if we get that fact wrong, we will get everything wrong. And that's why it's so important that Paul prayed that for the Ephesians. And we need to pray that. I would encourage you to go to that Ephesians passage, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, and pray over it. Why don't you do that this week? Pray over that passage every week and say, or every day this week and say, Lord, would you help me to understand and to grasp your amazing love? Now, there have been times for some of us, I, I, I think a lot, of pe a lot of Christians have had brief experiences where you really knew that God loved you. I mean, I, I think a lot of us have had that experience. Not everyone, but a lot of us have. But for, for a lot of the time, you know, when it's 8.30 on Tuesday morning, you've just had a fight with your spouse and you're walking into chaos at work, sometimes it's hard to say, well, well what difference does it make that God loves me? But Jesus is saying, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. He's inviting us to the same sort of experience that he had in life. And in Jesus' life, the Father's love was the prime factor in every situation. And that's what it should be for us. Jesus didn't just come down from heaven and hand us a one-way ticket. And say, okay, here you go. Here's your ticket to heaven. I'll see you when you get there. No, he wants us to continually exist in his love right now, always. Next phrase. If you keep my commandments, 
you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So here's Jesus saying, this is how you do it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, we hit that and we say, ah, there we go. I, I knew it was too good to be true. It's not just this unconditional love. We've got to keep the commands of Jesus, right? This is, what, this is where the rubber hits the road. We've got to earn it. So what do we make of this? How, how do we reconcile this with, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you? I like to think in terms of paradigms. Um, just think about as you are driving, in the driving paradigm, what does the color green mean? It means go. What does the color red mean? Stop. When you're at the dinner table, what does the color green mean? See, nobody knows, right? Vegetables, fast, fast, is that what you said? Oh, pass, pass them on, okay. <clears throat> Different paradigms. In the driving paradigm, we understand green means go. When we're not in the driving paradigm, green means other things. So in the same way, when we talk about obedience, we have to get the right paradigm. There's, there's a wrong paradigm, and that's the paradigm of legalism. And that paradigm goes two ways. One way says, uh, you know, Jesus has forgiven us. His forgiveness has completely took away my sins. That's all true. Therefore, I don't ever have to obey Jesus again because he's forgiven all my sins. But that, even though that paradigm says I can do anything I like, it's a, it's a legalistic paradigm. It's based on looking at things as something you either do or you don't do. And the other side of that same legalistic paradigm is, well, you know, here we have the verse, Jesus loves me, yeah, that's good and that's true, but I've got to obey his commandments. And if I don't obey his commandments, he's not going to love me, I'm not going to be able to abide in his love, and, uh, and if I sin, I might lose my salvation, and I'm, I'm maybe not even a, a real Christian. Both of those things are looking at obedience as law. Either it's law that we have to obey, or it's no law, law that we don't have to obey, but it's still all about law. But in the Bible, the opposite of law is not no law. The opposite of law is love. Now that sounds weird, but, but maybe if you flesh it out a little bit, the opposite of law is loving relationship. It's not no rules, it's loving relationship. And that's the paradigm in which we need to understand this. If you obey me, you will abide in my love. In the book of John, Jesus is relentlessly pushing this idea that we need to remain in a, in a lifelong, daily relationship with him. And, and this command here about uh, obeying and keeping his commands can only be properly understood in the paradigm of relationship with Jesus. You know, the Bible compares our relationship with the Lord to marriage all kinds of times. If you want to write some down, you can. I'll give you Ephesians 5, 25 and go on from there. Isaiah 54, 5. Isaiah 62, 4 and 5. Jeremiah 3, 15. Hosea 1, 2. Hosea 2, 19 through 20. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Anyway, it's all over the Bible. And so I think it's a great thing. The Bible uses it as an illustration, so I think we can certainly look into this as an illustration. So imagine my relationship with Carrie. Carrie and I are married. So what makes us married? Is it that I do all the things that married people do? You know, we're, 
you know, I made the promise and we signed some papers and got a certificate. So, you know, that means we're married. I wear a ring. So that means we're married. And um, I try to be nice to her. And I, I am faithful to her. And, uh, you know, is that what makes me married? It's, it's got the cart before the horse, isn't it? The reason I do those things is because I'm married. I don't do those things in order to be married. I do those things because I love Carrie. And so there are all sorts of behaviors we might associate and we might tell people who are getting married, well, you have to do this, 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 and this if you want to be a good husband or a good wife. And sometimes we hear that about Christianity. You have to do this, 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 and this if you want to be a good Christian. But it's, it's, the other way is if you love your wife, you will listen. If you love your husband, you will make time for him. If you love your spouse, you will do all sorts of things, not because they are rules to be obeyed, but because that is what love is. And I think sometimes one of the biggest problems we have in, in our marriages is that we fail to see how our actions affect the love that we have. We don't we don't realize or maybe we pretend not to realize that our actions have the potential to either hurt or harm our relationship. So if, if a wife wants a, a husband to quit going out to bars and hang out with his buddies every night, she's not saying you have to do this, you have to follow this rule in order to be married. She's saying this helps our relationship. I don't feel loved when you do that and I do feel loved when you spend time with me. Or a husband says I want more out of our physical relationship. He's not laying down a rule. He's saying this is how I feel loved. So we don't live that way in order to be married. We're married, therefore we live that way. And that is the same. And, and, and it would put tremendous pressure on any marriage if we started looking at things as just a set of rules to do. I mean, we know instinctively that's not love. You know, I, I can't think of, I should have spent more time on this, I can't think of a movie or a TV show, but I, there's something nagging me at the back of my hand. But just picture a spouse who does everything exactly the way they're supposed to do, but it's just following rules. It's not about love. You would know that the love is missing. So Jesus is telling us it's the same way here. The paradigm is not rules. The paradigm is a love relationship with Jesus. And so he's saying, if you want to abide in my love, you'll obey my commands, not because you follow the rules, but because you love me, because you have that love relationship with me. And when you don't obey the commands of Jesus, it means there's something wrong with the love. So we back up to that. He's saying it's all about relationship. If you love me, your life will reflect the fact that you love me. John writes about this in, in a couple of other places in 1 John and 2 John. 1 John 5, 3, and 4. For this is what love for God is to keep his commands. But then there's this, now his commands are not a burden because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith, and our faith is how we connect with Jesus in love. Second John, verse six, and this is love that we walk according to his commands and this is the command as you've heard it from the beginning, you must walk in love. So keeping his commands is all about that love relationship we have with Jesus. You should be able to tell I love Carrie, not because we have a marriage certificate on our wall or because I have a ring on my finger, but because of how I behave. And that's the same way with Jesus.
I want to say another thing too. Because I am a sinful person, I don't always feel like listening to Carrie. I don't always feel like you know, being kind or encouraging. I don't always feel like cleaning up and doing the things that make her feel loved. And, and the reason for that is that there's a flaw in me. But I have learned over 25 years of marriage that if I do those things, even if I don't feel like them, the more I do them, the more I do feel like doing them. And the more that I do them, the closer we become. And the closer we become, the more I actually want to do those things. And it's the same with Jesus. You might say, I don't feel like keeping this particular command. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like not sinning. It doesn't matter what you feel like. If you act on how you know you're supposed to act, eventually the feelings will come. So what I'm saying is, if I choose to obey in such a way that I become closer to my wife, or I choose to behave in a way that I become closer to Carrie, it becomes a pathway to greater intimacy with her. And so if I choose to behave in a way that Jesus wants me to, to behave, it is a pathway to greater intimacy with Jesus. Obedience is a pathway to intimacy with Jesus. That's why Jesus said, if you want to abide in my love, if you abide in my love, you will obey what I command you. This is how to do it. This is the pathway. The more we obey, the more we actually learn to love him and the more we delight to obey. Which is why Jesus said, your joy will be complete. Here are a couple other things that Jesus said about the command. So we say, okay, we want to obey. What are the things we need to obey? What do we need to do? Uh, in John 6, some people were asking Jesus that. They said, what are, the, what are the works of God? What do we need to do? Jesus said this, John 6, 29. This is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. Another time, some experts on the law came to Jesus. You guys all know this one. I'll read the one from Matthew. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, to obey is to love. To love is to obey. To obey is to love. It's exactly what we've been getting there. Now, again, I, I mentioned this before, but I don't always love Carrie perfectly in my marriage. I'm not the perfect husband, not even close. And sometimes not only do I not feel loving, sometimes... I act in the way I feel, and I don't do the things that are loving, or I do something that is unloving towards Carrie. And I, I do the same thing in my relationship with the Lord. So what do we do then? For Carrie and I, we need to talk it through. I need to repent when I've done something to hurt her, and the same is true of Jesus. It's not about repenting in or, or you're going to lose your salvation, although eventually, if you never repent, you, you know, that's a whole different discussion. I won't go there. But if you don't repent, there's, there's something wrong. But through Jesus, we, we can continue to obey him perfectly in a sense. When, when Elise was young, and I'm, I'm sorry to tell this story, you can get the real context from her, but she used to say things that we loved, and we'd, we'd take those sayings and use them in our family. One of the things we heard, she was talking to someone, and, uh, and then suddenly she said, I didn't say that. So I tried this with Carrie, you know, when I said something that I shouldn't have said, and it didn't work out quite as well as I had hoped. <clears throat> 
But there's a sense in which we can do that with Jesus. Because of his death and resurrection on our behalf, we can proceed as if we didn't say that, as if we didn't do that. Once we've repented, he clears it out for us, and we can proceed as if we have obeyed perfectly. Because that is what he has done for us. He has made that relationship with himself and with the Father, with the Spirit, perfectly. We're under relationship, not under law. So we repent, and through Jesus' work, he continues to view us as if we never have done anything wrong. And so we can obey perfectly because he has made us perfect. Does that make sense? You following with me that? So when we, when we hurt Jesus, when I hurt Carrie, it doesn't mean divorce. It means we need to talk, we need to repent, we need to, to move on. And that's the same thing with Jesus. And I, I want to invite us right now to, to be quiet for a second. And uh, as, you're, as you're listening to what the Lord has to say to you, it might be about his love, it might be about repentance, it might be about knowing that you can continue with this clean slate he has wiped out your sins. Um, have the music team come up and we're going to close with a song. So Lord, we, we want to receive everything you have this morning. You are inviting us to an abiding experience of love and obedience. We want to enter into that. And I just want to mention before we get completely into the song that one way to receive what Jesus offers is to thank Him for it and to praise Him for it. So as you sing this next song, as you thank Him and praise Him, you are receiving what He's giving. like a hurricane I am a tree 